Welcome to Failing Forward. Michelle, can you introduce yourself for our audience today? Yeah, I'm Michelle Nunn. I'm the president and CEO of Care USA. And Emily, it's wonderful to be with you for the second time um, on this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's start by talking a little bit about why it's important for us to talk about failure at all. Why have you graciously agreed to come back for a second time? Well, I had a lot of fun on the first on the first go round, and I think that uh, what I've seen is the extraordinary range of uh, possibilities when we are um, are true to what's you know sharing what's working and what's not working, and um, and you, certainly in this podcast, I think you've opened up uh, and hopefully made manifest a culture that we want to embrace. Uh, we I think we struggle sometimes all of us to embrace, which is how can we be really forthcoming about uh, exploring where we have not realized our, our fullest goals and potential. Um, what have we learned from that? What are the lessons? Uh, and, um, and how can we think of failure as a pathway for learning and um, not in an end of itself? And just to remind everybody, you came and joined us very early on in 2018 when we launched this journey, and you talked about something you called the fourth quarter failure and some budget challenges we were facing at the time. How have things gone since then? We're several years later. What have we seen change? Yeah, well, I went back and listened to that podcast, and it was a bit of a painful reminder of something that was a difficult period and um, and really also was a real uh, a confrontation with some hard-won lessons uh, around both uh, revenue driving and also expense discipline. And uh, at that point, we were, we were speaking to what had become a, a really difficult situation in which we had basically over... Um, overspent and under uh, delivered in terms of our revenue and therefore had to make some painful uh, corrections. And um, and so I would say that as I lis listened to that, I, I, I actually it was a bit heartening because I could see how some of the things that we learned in that have continued to guide us. And uh, and it was great to sort of look back on that on our budget. At that point, we were a $600 million organization. I talked about the fact that uh, we had taken up some bold goals in terms of of our revenue growth and our aspiration for growth. And we had hit some walls, obviously, in the uh, in that period. And today we have seen a 50% growth in our revenue since that time. And so um, we're at, was a 600 million, now a $900 million approximately budget. And, um, and so I think both um, the lessons that we learned, uh, again, hard won that have been put in place, but I think also remembering that it is important to, uh, to, to be clear and to be bold about your goals and that sometimes um, failure or a lack of success, so to speak, can be a predicate or an antecedent to um, to going on and finding more success. And uh, and so I'd like to think that um, there's a really a really nice arc to that story. Talk to us about what's on your mind now. What's an example of you'd love to be able to listen to it four years from now and think, oh, we really applied those lessons and got better at the challenge we're facing right now. Well, as I was thinking back and I was listening to that podcast, I was also thinking like, if you had told me, if you had said, these are some of the things that are going to happen between 2018 and 2023, 
Uh, I would say that so many of the ones that have really shaped our work, uh, I would not have been able to anticipate. And I think I, I would be in good company. Uh, and, um, and so whether that's a, a global pandemic, whether that's the invasion into Ukraine, whether that's you know a multiple rolling humanitarian crisis, uh, it, I think what we realize is that the world is moving at such a fast pace and in ways that we can't anticipate. And so um, the things that worry me right now are, that pace of change and whether we're we're keeping up with it. Um, I think it's hard to be a global organization, a 78-year-old organization that has the agility to keep pace with the world at this moment. And so um, I think that's one of the things that uh, that I worry about um, when I think about what will we what will we look like and what will I say in four or five years? Are we are we really uh, being able to move again at the threshold that we hope and with the momentum and acceleration around our locally led network uh, around this sort of new model of being a network organization for the future, uh, which entails I think a different way of operating and um, and one that I think we're feeling our way towards, but that um, there you know there are aren't infinite number of models that I think we we have before us. So we're also both inventing, learning, co-creating with others. Um, and so I think that localization work is, is so critical and will be a hallmark of our success or failure over the next, uh, the next few years in terms of our growth. Obviously, the scaled impact, as I mentioned, the threshold of challenges in the world is so enormous that it can be uh, it can be really I think daunting. If you look at just sort of the numbers of how many people are hungry right now, what are we seeing in terms of the reversal or stagnation of trends towards progress? Uh, in uh, things like hunger and poverty, and um, and how are we as a global humanitarian system evolving um, to keep up with the, for instance, you know, 100 million plus people who are displaced and a growing number and, dis and the issues of climate change. So you could go on and on about the challenges, but I think as I, as I look at the CARES work, I think, will we face into the changes that are necessary to make? Will we be able to look at some of the things that really are not working right now and face them square and and then be able to uh, to to pivot and to evolve and to even potentially um, I would say uh, more dramatically transform. And then um, are we, as I said, are we scaling at the level that's required to meet the needs in the world with the innovation and creativity and agility? And are we doing that through a localized network? When you say let's face up to some of the things that aren't working now, do you have an example in mind? I mean, I think there's still a, a number of things organizationally that we need to grapple with. Uh, a confederation or a federation that was started ultimately in the wake of World War II, but then over the last 30 years that we've pulled together, um, I think most global organizations are struggling with what what are they most fit for um, in terms of, of purpose and do they have the agility that's required? So I think right now um, we're looking at some governance reform at the CARE International level. I'm looking at our own uh, organizational structure and wondering if there are things that are too heavy in terms of everything from our evaluation systems to our uh, paperwork. Um, and, and I say paperwork intentionally because I think we haven't necessarily transformed digitally. Are we 
Uh, are we, is our, is our technology, even at a foundational level, enough to carry us into the future? Are we making some changes and letting go of some things in order to be able to embrace new things in terms of, for instance, artificial intelligence and the learning that goes into that? And um, so I think in, in general, if I were simplifying, I would sort of say, are some of our heavy structures uh, really going to be uh, equipped to take us into the future? I'd like to see some of those change, and I'd like to see us do it with some with some speed and perhaps accelerate the pace. One of the things we think about when we think about the history of care and the acceleration and agility of change, we've been had been delivering care packages in Poland for a long time. The last one in Poland went in 1965, and we closed out our office in Poland. You know, tragically, we're back in Poland this many years later. What we're doing looks different. It's not a box of American spam plus some other really important items that people needed at the time. How do we think about that evolution and when you have to go back? And we had to go back really quickly, right? That wasn't something we had predicted or were set up to do. How do we think about bringing what we know now and the best of our skills to that kind of situation? Yeah, speaking of the things that we wouldn't have anticipated, uh, again, if we had if we had uh, been having this discussion five years ago, uh, I think that um, we really did move forward in our work in Ukraine and Poland and Romania and the region more broadly in in completely different ways than we would have 10, 20, uh, 30 years ago. And I think we obviously have moved through a partnership modality. So we built upon local civil society. All of our work is is facilitated through local organizations. Uh, and um, I think that has made us, was enabled us to be nimble in terms of setting that, that up. I think it will hopefully enable us to be more sustainable as we go forward. Um, whether we keep a presence in Poland, it won't be a traditional presence. It will be you know, a facilitative presence, a, a networked presence. And, uh, and so I think that that's on the good news in terms of, uh, I think, our capacity for response. And we were able to do all of that quite quickly because I think we chose a different modality. Uh, and, um, and we did that along with our peers as well. So I think there's much there to be proud of. Obviously, we're not delivering care packages in the traditional way, but um, we are thinking about uh, how are we delivering solidarity and connection, for instance, you know, the uh, one of the projects that we do in um, in Poland is to help support teachers who are refugees to teach in their language in, in Ukrainian, the students that are trying to integrate into the Polish school system. And um, in some sense, you know, you can package that uh, in a broad sense as, as care packages in, uh, in a very different form and formulation, um, not traditional uh, in cardboard boxes, but in the form of uh, new modalities for, again, for connection and progress and partnership. It's one of the things I certainly from my perspective, I learned during COVID was a lot of these systems we built got in our way when we needed to move that fast, that we had very elaborate processes that took a really long time. Um, I, one example I can think of is we had an M&E process that we said, we're going to do light rapid touch surveys. And when the first draft came back, it was 120 questions long. You're like, boy, that's not light or rapid. Now what? How do we think about giving ourselves the space to, as you say, let go of some of those pieces that were built to serve a purpose, but we just need to be able to move more quickly. And we need to be able to move when the women tell us this is not working for us now. 
that's part of part of the journey going forward. And um, I've said to a number of people that my first trip to uh, Somali in Somaliland, um, and they I was talking to partners, and they referred to care of a thousand papers. And obviously, uh, that was not a compliment. Um, that was a, a sense that we were burdening our partners. So the the question is, what um, what what can we do first of all to embrace technology? To to I think to purpose embrace a more agile approach, knowing that the what happens is each one of those questions that you referred to and that I see, they all make sense if you, you know, in, in some um, sense, but when you aggregate them all together, they don't make sense. And so we have to, uh, I think, again, um, take into account what is the most essential information, uh, the information that we know that we can act upon. What if we start small? What if we um, start with a, a kind of uh, lean product and then we grow from there and the the problem is that all organizations all bureaucracies do essentially grow and so then what is the what are the forces or mechanisms that 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 sort of pull them back and and i think for us that means and for me in some sense that means we also have to be able to embrace risk one of the things that i'm always balancing is uh do, you know our if our compliance and risk teams say well this we have to have all of this even if it's really heavy is the there's some way of asking them to, uh, to to look at it in a different fashion, and to um, and to be willing to take some risks as we move into these kinds of partnership modalities. And and how do you thread the needle between responsibility and uh, boldness and creativity? And if you get all of those things together, I think it can and push on a premium of centering agility um, and also enabling our partners and having that be what is at the center of our work versus we need all these things in order to be able to operate. Um, what is it that they need for effectiveness and impact? And then how do we recon how do we reconform ourselves versus asking them to reconform to us? That's one of the pieces I think about all the time is how do we both balance this big, bold vision with the humility to say, we need to reconfigure for you. It's not enough for you to say, we have a great vision, please come with us and please fill out the thousand papers while you're at it. How do we balance those two sides? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the part of the challenge. As the CEO, um, I don't want to be the one who has said, "Let's get rid of all that paperwork," and then the next month we have a you know a, enormous fraud, right? And 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 that's those are real uh, tensions. And um, I think we have to recognize that everybody's coming at it from best intentions in terms of the compliance people, the legal people, the financial people, the program people. Uh, but I also think we have to recognize, especially if we can embrace this sort of idea of a more globalized, locally-based network um, that, uh, that we have to, again, lift up what are the, um, what, how do we in the center put those local leaders and then how do we equip them and, uh, and what risk threshold can we embrace while maintaining some responsibility. And each one of those contextually is going to look a little bit different. But I think we also have to have some people who are constantly calling the question of, you know, how can we change ourselves versus asking others to change in order to, um, to you know, to evolve to the place where we are a more lean uh, and um, next generation network for, for impact. One of the things that was fascinating to see as COVID started to roll out was that shift to working more with local partners in the United States. And that was something that was pretty new for us at the time. 
one of the pieces from where I sat that I saw happen was very much the shift you just described. We had to think differently about who those partners were, what their decision-making was, what our role was relative to them in new spaces. What have we learned from that that we should be applying more broadly? Well, I think it's actually been fascinating to look at what we've what we've learned from the U, the U.S. model. One is that um, that that first of all, even in the U.S. context where you have basically only locally led organizations, that there still is a need for a network um, and that they can be stronger together through a collective facilitation. And, um, and so as we look towards localization, how are we creating value add to the network so that we're not just, uh, you know, a sort of pass through, but we are creating a richer ecosystem that is learning together, that is uh, more than the sum of its parts in terms of impact, that has the capacity for ad advocacy and that potentially has the capacity for fundraising. Those are all the things that I think uh, we just met with about 25 of our local partners in the Gulf Coast in New Orleans last week. Uh, and those are all the things that they said they were looking for. And so it sort of, in some sense, really does reaffirm this approach to, um, again, not just localization, but a network that is more than the sum of its parts. And um, and so to me, that's one of the biggest things and uh, that we that we have to, to learn and to um, and to to build upon as we go forward. If you could look back over the last four or five years and wave a magic wand and change anything based on what you know now, and obviously, you know, COVID, the conflict in Ukraine, all of those, but things that we could have done differently, what would you change? Well, I think, uh, and this is always true. I think if you ask all of us leaders, et cetera, you would you you always look back and say, "Gosh, I should have I should have followed my intuition, or I should have made some of those changes, whatever they might be, um, in terms of leadership or or structure or painful choices that we knew that were before us. Should have just gone ahead and made them more quickly." Um, and uh, and so that's I, I think I would certainly say that's true for me. I think um, making quicker, bolder decisions is um, is is hard, but uh, but it is I think really important, especially in in these times. Um, I think that uh, I would also continue to try and you know I think all of us and I, I put myself um, first and foremost in this category. You know, we're so busy getting through the organizational uh, sort of imperatives of the day that we sometimes I think are not allowing enough time for the bigger um, strategic uh, kind of north stars that we need to be driving at. And so I wish that I had and would and will um, spend more time on those. So uh, not only what do we need to do in order to keep pace with our um, fundraising around our humanitarian work, but should we be working more towards a bolder solution for changing the, the global humanitarian system at large? Um, and uh, are we being strong enough and big enough in our thinking um, versus incremental in our thinking around um, the platform that we that we uh, have the privilege to support and to lead all of us as leaders um, to, uh, to, to, you know, to, to kind of think about what is that thing that is going to be transformational for the system? Because if care is not pointing it out and leading the way towards it, who do we think is? 
Um, obviously, all of what we do needs to be done in concert, but uh, I wish that um, maybe we could be even more bold and more focused on the systemic versus the organizational. So um, those would be a few things. Act more quickly, uh, act more boldly, take a few more risks, and, um, and also uh, keep our eye on the North Star of the sort of systems transformation versus just the organizational change. One of the things I always reflect on at CARE, it's a story you obviously know very well, some of our biggest and most exciting transformations have come from women in communities saying, you're doing it wrong, do it a different way. The SLA is a group, you're, a story you're obviously familiar with. How do we tap more into that when we need to make these big, bold, fast decisions? How do we tap more into so much of the expertise comes from the people who are living the problem? Yeah, I think there's so many things that we need to do. One is um, that uh, if we can get rid of some of the heaviness of our organizational structures, then I, and we really are putting those local leaders that are proximate to challenges and giving them the capacity for uh, for greater decision making on behalf of the larger organization, I think we'll get better results. Um, so that's a streamlining question. I think it's also how can we use technology to get more direct feedback from our participants in our evaluations, but also in our program design? How are we doing that in real time so that we're not accumulating over the course of a year, but we're accumulating over the course of days? Um, I think we've done a lot of interesting and innovative things to lift up those voices, but how, uh, and we're and we're finding that's powerful in the advocacy realm and so many other ways, but uh, how could we more firmly um, put them in the architecture, architectural seat of our of our programming. Um, what would that look like from a, how do they have a seat at the table? Again, in ways that doesn't feel like large general assemblies that we all are, are but just as the natural course of doing business, um, you know, what's, what's their way of informing the global leadership team, our program teams, our country directors uh, on a regular basis, on an interactive and iterative basis? And how do we, how do we get to some of those forms um, more more quickly. Uh, I think that is an exciting set of possibilities before us. And I hope that um, I hope that maybe folks can help us think about what would it take to propel that vision. What's your biggest call to action? What do you want people to do differently than the way they're doing it now? I would love for all of us to think of ourselves as sort of um, whether you want to call them social entrepreneurs, social innovators, change agents that have the capacity to drive big change, to think of care as a platform upon which we all have the chance to um, you know, sit upon 78 years of, of a legacy of, of uh, transformation and impact. And how do we utilize that power? And how do we, um, how do we again, think of things more creatively and and how do we enable people to uh, to live out their fullest potential through the care platform? Um, and so, so for me, that means how do we how do I help um, us get out of the way of some of the greatest and biggest ideas of the people within care and the people that care partners with? Um, and how do we create mechanisms where they're um, where they feel that invitation more clearly uh, and where they feel that um, that opportunity more clearly? So getting rid of the barriers for people to live out their biggest and best ideas as change agents and um, and also giving them uh, the invitation and maybe uh, a little bit more capacity to, to take big, bold um, ideas and turn them into reality. What gives you hope 
You talked about a lot of the challenges we're up against in the world. What makes you hopeful we're going to get through it? I mean, every time I um, spend time with our care teams around the world, I am I am hopeful. Uh, I just in this past week, I had the chance to talk to um, some of our line leaders, um, incredible women in Nepal and uh, in Yemen, and um, and I think that their uh, commitment, their incredible. Uh, capacity for imagining different kinds of futures, even in the most challenging situations, uh, keeps me very hopeful about what's possible in the world. Any final words of wisdom you want to share with the audience today? Just that I hope that, um, you know, that everybody will be thinking about their uh, their own capacity to, um, to, to be willing to make mistakes in the pursuit of those bigger uh, ideas and North Stars. And, and certainly, I hope that this podcast, and Emily, you're, you're sharing some of the lessons that we've learned um, and our own transparency. I mean, when I think about um, at a personal level, some of the things that I wish that I had done differently, I've mentioned a few in terms of, you know, speed, speedier, bigger, bolder decisions, um, breaking through more in terms of telling the care story and our brand versus leading from behind, um, and, um, and finding that right balance between uh, between big accelerated change and also bringing the organization along, um, you know, those are all things that um, that that I hold as leadership lessons. But I hope that uh, that we can create a a care ecosystem where um, where we are forthright and candid with one another about our own um, about our own failures or our, our temporary failures, so to speak, and also um, that we're giving each other constructive but also clear feedback. I think care is a really kind um, culture. And sometimes, um, as uh, my colleagues have been reminding me with their Brene Brown lessons, um, clear is kind uh, as well. And so um, what can we do to be as clear as possible about what is uh, what is standing in our way? What, we, what lessons have we learned? And also, what are the big ideas that we should embrace for the future in order to, um, you know, to realize our vision to... Which are which is a, a really big vision, and we re- need really big ideas. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks, Emily, and thanks for your leadership here. It's been so important.